Um, we're going to look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5 today. And uh, it really comes on the heels. I, I want to think of broad spectrum here, uh, particularly when we read, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Think of a, uh, a rather lengthy period of time. Galatians obviously was written to a Jewish, uh, a Gentile audience that was being influenced by the Jews. The Jews were saying that you had to come under the law of Moses in order to be a good Christian. And so Paul comes along and he writes to them and says, wait a minute, uh, salvation is not by law. Salvation is by faith. One of the great moments in my life was on a bunk in Korea where I sat down and read Galatians in one sitting. And a lot of the things that I read in Galatians shocked me. Like, wait a minute, in Christ I am free, in Christ I am forgiven. And so when we come to this portion, it is a moment in time which was based on what went before it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So as we unpack this, we're going to look, first of all, at the fullness of time. But when the fullness of time had come, these are very interesting words that uh, Paul uses here. First of all, ultimately, this suggests a plan. So it's not some knee-jerk reaction. It's not something that, uh, oh, the culture's going this way. I better do this. This is something that was orchestrated and planned out when the fullness of time. Peirama. Peirama means full measure. And then you have erkomai, which is arrived. So if I read the text this way, but when the full measure of time had arrived, which means there was things that went before it. When we uh, sample, for example, the, I have to be on this side, I know the boys, I'm going to disappear under here, but I can't help it. Um, so here you have the creation when God created the world, and you have all of these events, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, leave your country and I will bless you, and you will be the father of many nations. That was the promise in Genesis 12. And then we move all the way through to the Exodus, where Moses, 430 years later, God gives the law after the promise of Abraham. And this is the issue. The issue was the Jews thought that because the law was second, that the law had priority over the Abrahamic promise. When in actuality, the reverse is true. Because God said to Abraham, I will bless you and you'll be the father of many nations. So when we trust in Christ, we're really going back to the Abrahamic promise. Now God gave the law to the Jewish people to keep them in check until Christ should arrive. And of course, when the fullness of time came, Jesus did arrive. Now you'll see you have a myriad of, you have the judges, you have the conquest, you have all this stuff going on, the fall of Israel, the fall of southern Judah. We've just been talking about that in Isaiah. And so at this point, we are about right in here with the birth of Christ. So this is 
when, when we think about when the fullness of time had come, I want us to think of a broad stroke. That it wasn't just this particular time that God sent him. God knew that this particular time would come and it was planned out before the foundations of the world that Christ would come. And the Bible says here, Paul writes, when the full measure of time had arrived. Now, a lot of things, uh, when, when we think about, think, just think about this. And tonight I can't wait because I'm going to be preaching on the wise men. I love that, the wise men and the star. I've got some stuff to say about that. It's pretty awesome. It should encourage your faith. But here you have the Son of God who is going to be born. Now, you couldn't orchestrate this stuff. In other words, there's no writer in past history that could have said, I'm going to project three, four, five, six hundred years out that something is going to happen and it comes to pass. You, you can't possibly write a scenario in which that would play out, except when it comes to the scripture. Now, isn't it funny? I was going to say ironic, but funny is a little better word. Um, that when Christ arrived, the situation was this. First of all, you could go anywhere in the culture, anywhere. And if you could preach, uh, not preach, <laughs> you could preach Greek. If you could speak Greek, you could go anywhere. It was a universal language. Who did that? God did. He's orchestrating. Remember, history is his story. History, his story. Uh, Greek was a universal language. Rome built massive uh, highway systems. I know we've got a 15-year project over here on 72, 73. It seems like, doesn't it seem like there's going to be building this forever, right? But Rome had built a massive highway system. And what does that mean? That means you can travel with ease anywhere that you want to go. Universal language, roads were built. There was Pax Romana, which uh, seven, uh, 27 BC to 14, that's CE, y'all know what that is, right? Common era. Um, anyway, there was this peace. You weren't worried about wars and things going on. Look at this. Who does that? God does. God does. There was also idol worship at the time of Christ was on decline. So there was a spiritual hunger in the culture. That doesn't mean it was completely eradicated. But the spiritual idolatry was on decline. Of course, you could have added here that the political, not the political, the religious system was corrupt when Christ came. So it was the right time. It was the right time for Jesus, the Son of God, to come. All of this was in position and in place for the Son to be born. Isn't that amazing? You just, God orchestrating orchestrating events. And, and you know what's funny? Man thinks that they can thwart the plan of God. But actually, God is moving all history 
towards the end. And there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to step out of the clouds. He's going to call his church home. And then you're going to get into all the eschatological age and everything that unfolds thereafter. And then you get into the final issue with the destruction of the earth. And it's hard to, it's hard to imagine. But God has it planned out. God has it planned out and he has it. I know there's times you watch the news and you hear all the bad stuff happening in our culture and it is, but God has a plan. And here when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He would be born under the law. God sent forth his son. And this, uh, this phrase sent forth uh, really means with a message. Deacon Dave Walker read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The message of the gospel, when God sent his Son, it was with a purpose, it was with a reason, and the reason was to come to this world to redeem those who walk in darkness. So God sent forth his son. You think about, um, well, uh, Timothy George writes this. God sent his son. Implicit in these words are two ideas, both of which are fa uh, fundamental to holistic uh, Christology, uh, Christological affirmation, divine intentionality and eternal deity. Listen to this. God sent forth his son born of a woman. You have both the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ in a baby. And it's very hard, and we actually went through this, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and trying to figure out how, how that could take place. Well, of course, we know the story. Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, all of that unfolded, and you'll learn more about that tonight. But as Christ, Jesus raised people from the dead. As Christ, he turned water into wine. As, uh, as Christ, he caused the blind to see. As Christ, he, called the lame, he caused the lame to walk. And as a child, he skinned his knees, he bled, he cried. He experienced everything that we do. And yet within this, within this, it's hard to get our mind around that Christ lived as a child, even though he was the son of God. And, and yet, within this Christology and our theology of Jesus, we have to acknowledge the humanity and the divinity of Christ. He was born of a woman. This is probably one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite depictions of the stable because it probably would have been in like a makeshift cave there in Bethlehem, and okay, this is kind of shocking. So when I think about the birth of Jesus. He should have been born in a palace. He should have been born with the finest things that money could buy. 
And yet, the Son of God, who stepped into time when the fullness of time that had come, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, and it was and she gave birth in a humble place. Certainly not a place that you would think a king would be born. And I think this is really the epitome of Jesus' ministry. Do you know Jesus spent most of his time going to the downcast and the, and the, the outcast and the downtrodden and those who were uh, neglected by society? That's who Jesus went to. Jesus got into trouble doing that kind of stuff. And yet, here we have the Son of God, the man who would deliver not only the nation of Israel, but us of our sins, is born in a lowly stable. Designed by God. And yet, even on my end, hard to understand. He was born under the law, the teleos. Got that down pretty well. That's the law of Moses. And uh, Jesus had to come in. In other words, the law, when it says born under the law, that meant that Jesus came at a time when the law was still in effect. So when Paul writes, as we'll examine here in a few minutes, that he came under the law, he was saying that Jesus was born under the system that condemns people. He had to have been born in that system because Jesus had to live that system perfectly in order for you and me to be saved and redeemed and imputed with his righteousness so that we can see God. He had to be born under that system and Jesus had to walk every jot and tittle of the law without sin. And this is often omitted in some sermons that I've heard. Born under the law means that Jesus was born under that law. He had to live it perfectly. And if he didn't live the law perfectly, guess what? Your, your sins are not forgiven. We can fold this place up, go to the house. But he did live it perfectly. Anything that God thought, said, or commanded, Jesus did. And it says that he was born under the law. Just as God has a timetable for world events, we looked at that briefly this morning already, God was moving history. History is his story. History, I like that. Moving towards the birth of Christ. And then we look at the, the plan of salvation. The salvation story starts way back in Genesis. Uh, Abraham, and this is in Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. So in other words, when we trust in, and this is all coming from Galatians, I would encourage you to go home, read Galatians before tonight. It should radically change the way you view your life. But it says here, it was accounted to him as righteousness. It's the same righteousness that God gives us when we trust in Christ. It's positional. 
And then, of course, the law came 430 years later, which the Jews said and the scholars said, well, the law came later, therefore it supersedes the promise given to Abraham. And Paul says no. And by the way, Paul knew the law better than any of them. Paul was a legal scholar. He knew it. Why do you think God sent Paul to the Gentiles? Because he knew the law. Quite, quite amazing. The law came 430 years later. This is the argument in Galatians chapter 3. Just go in there and read it. Sarah and Hagar are representatives, too, of the two covenants. That's quite awesome. 430 years later, the law came. And again, to remind us, the Jews thought that since that law was second, it, it trumped Abraham's promise. But what they failed to realize is the law was put into place to lead them to Christ, Paul says in Galatians. Jesus was born under the law, and he had to live it perfectly. If Jesus comes to this earth and he messes up or stumbles at one point, he is guilty of all. And guess what? All of us here, before we trusted in Christ, we're guilty before God. All you got to do is miss, miss one. I've heard people say, well... You know, if my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to get into heaven. Well, the question is, how much good do you have to have to get into heaven? Well, I can tell you how good you got to get to be in heaven. It has to be 100%. So in other words, all of us in this room, we've already missed the boat. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why Jesus coming here at Christmas is God's gift to the world. God's gift to the world. Now, the purpose, these are, abs I mean, I say this a lot in all the sermons I preach, but I love these verses. <laughs> so awesome. God sent his son to redeem us. To redeem those who were under the law. Are you catching this? Jesus came under the law to redeem those who were under the law. We were under the law, and Jesus was under the law, so that he could redeem us. Some people say, well, some people have a tendency to believe that Jesus didn't live in the trenches. Jesus spent time with prostitutes, tax collectors, people who were infirm that society wouldn't touch, people who were blind, people who were lame, people who had leprosy. My goodness, that's the start of the humility of Christ's birth in the stable with just common. Jesus, when, when you were an uh, religious a religious elite person of the day who looked down their nose at these people who were filled with leprosy and couldn't see. They were downcast. Jesus said, no, no, that's who I came for. By the way, that's what we should be doing. We should be going out into the highways and byways of life telling people about Christ and what he's done in our hearts and in our lives. 
to redeem those who were under the law. Ex Gazaraza. That's easy for me to say, ex Gazaraza. The word redeemed means to set free. Set free from what, you might ask? Set free from the penalty of sin and death. It means to set free, but ultimately it means to buy back something. I say this again in in Genesis chapter 1, and I use this in Emmett's funeral Tuesday. Um, We were created in the image of God, and through the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God sent man outside the Garden of Eden, and they were then susceptible to death. What Jesus is buying back is not only our souls, but he's buying back Genesis chapter 1, when God said at the end of Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he did, and it was good. It's a return, and that's why Romans talks about uh, there's Adam 1 and Adam 2, and Adam 2 is correcting Adam 1. Christ is the new Adam, and he restores our position And in that, we have good news. There is one, uh, there's one mistake in here, and I caught, it, I caught it this morning, but I couldn't change it. Uh, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that's not hands, hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham, he's taking them back to Abraham. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Go back there. At at the blessing of Abraham might come up on the Gentiles in Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's not about law, folks. It's not about how good you can be. That will never, ever, ever, ever get you into heaven. Ever. It is all about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid for our sin in full. Now that doesn't mean that you don't go out and you try to live uh, according to God and, and you don't do good people or good, do good to people, but you can't get to heaven based on that. It's impossible. Nobody can do that. Now the question is, where do they get this hanging on a tree business? I... I wanted to go back and, and kind of, well, it's got, to be, it's got to be connected somewhere to the Old Testament. So it says here, uh, having become a curse for us, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, it was in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Let me throw a new thing in here. We were under a curse. And Jesus became the curse for us. When Jesus was dying on the cross... And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe at that moment, at that moment in time, 
Jesus, for the first time in all eternity, was separated from the Father. And the weight of the sin of the world was on Jesus. And he became my curse. He became your curse by dying on that tree. Can you imagine for a minute? Can you imagine for a minute being separated from God? Jesus knew the plan. He told people, my time has not yet come. Now is the hour. Jesus knew the plan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cut pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus embraced the cross. He did that because he loves us. I wouldn't give my kids for people. Would you? Would, would you give your only child for a world that would reject him? That's difficult. And yet God did. He said, I know what's going to happen, son. And I know how this is going to play out, but this is how we're going to redeem man. So when we think about the Christmas event, it ultimately culminates at the cross. And he was born under the law. And, and by the way, I want to read this because I think it's important. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. We often tend to think that this life is about us. Don't, don't rejoice. We often think it's about us. Don't we, Tony? Sometimes we think it's about us. Don't we, John? But you know what? This whole life, it's about Jesus. My life must decrease and Jesus must increase. And the way that that takes place is daily surrender. I am bought with a price. Say that today. I am bought with a price. And because I'm bought with a price, my life has been redeemed. Oh, well, get ready. This is going to be good. <laughs> I love this. Get ready. Then there's adoption. Then there's adoption. So that we might receive, listen to this, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Apollano, Apollano. And that means that we might possess adoption. That we might possess adoption. And this word adoption means, and I'm going to read it directly from the Greek. To legally declare someone who is not one's child to be 
one's child. Um, adoption is a wonderful thing, by the, by the way. Uh, our uh, oldest daughter could not have kids. Um, very early on, the, the, the doctor said, you can't have kids. So she had a hysterectomy, very young. And through a series of events now, she's in the process, her and Steve are in the process of adopting. You all met her. You all met her, I baptized her here. And so in February, that adoption will be complete. And that's really a good picture of what God does for us. She came from a difficult situation, and now Summer and Steve are giving her a safe place to live. We come from difficult places, folks, and God's giving us a place to live in the kingdom of God. And so when our life is over here, since we've been adopted, we go into the presence of God and we live with him and there will be joy and no more pain, no more sorrow. It'll all be done away because we have been adopted into his family. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great picture And you know what? Satan doesn't like the adoption because he loses. The day that a person trusts in Christ, you're not Jews. None of us are Jewish. Although, although, from our Sunday school class, the big blow up, You are Jews inwardly. Paul says, circumcision of the heart. Externally, we're Gentiles. And we're not formally under the law of Moses, although Paul writes in Romans that the Gentiles are a law unto themselves. Either way, we were under law. And Christ came to live those laws so that he could impute his righteousness in us and adopt us and bring us in to the family of God. I remember this, uh, this church in Akron, Ohio. My first church was a little bigger and um, there was a church in Akron it was in a bad part of town. And uh, so easy to so easy to get so high and mighty that you forget most of the world is in bad shape. And I remember they invited me to one of their events. And I drove through the downtown area of Akron. It was actually on the outskirts of Akron. It was not a good area. And I went into the church and their mission, 
their mission was to minister to the people in that area. Who were downcast, downtrodden, very little money. I told our director of missions, I said, it sure is a shame that we have to implant a church there so that they can reach. Why can't our churches and our association go down there and hit the streets? Because Charles Whitlock didn't like that direct approach. So I went down there, and you know what about these people? They were misfits by world standards. One guy, there were some people that they come into our church, they'd be looking down at them. It made me so, oh boy, better watch it. It's Christmas. They ministered to those people. And do you know what I saw in them that I didn't see in my own congregation? The love of Christ. For people who were broken and downcast and beaten and living in poverty. Guess what? That's who Jesus came for. In matter of fact, my last church, we had a man that he was challenged mentally. And there was another young man in our church up north. And he said, Pastor, we want to sing. And I said, go for it. Steve, by earthly standards, could not sing. Actually, he sang better than I did. But <laughs> I had one lady after church say, Pastor. I said, yes. She said, that is unprofessional. And I looked at her and I said, so we're professionals now. Well, well, well that's what you said. If, if that's unprofessional, then that means we've become professionals. But I tell you what I saw when Steve sang. I saw the love of God in his heart. Y'all realize that's the only thing that matters, right? It's, it's not the externals, folks. It's what's in here. And when Jesus was born, they didn't like it because he was upsetting the apple cart. We've got to find some way to capture this low life who eats with sinners and tax collectors and touches people who have leprosy. We can't have that in the church. That's who Jesus came for. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That's our mission. To go out and love people with the love of Christ and bring them into the church. Look, <clears throat> the church is not a palace for the elite. It is a hospital for the sick. I don't care who it is. They come in here, they're welcome. And we love them with the love of Christ. 
and maybe someday they get adopted. This big dragnet that God has, that wonderful church ministering to those people in Akron, they're adopted. Steve, who by outward appearances can't sing but loves Jesus, he's adopted. And guess what? You're adopted if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. This is not about punching a time card, brothers and sisters, and coming to worship and having received my men. This is a heart issue, and a heart issue alone. Maybe I should start forgetting my sermon notes and having to go upstairs a little more. I don't know. And I will close with this. For you have not received the spirit of slavery that's been released, leading to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You know what the translation for Abba, Father is? Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Remember this. When the Spirit comes into our hearts, he adopts our spirit. How that works internally, I have no idea, but... The Bible says it. He adopts us. And then we begin to walk in step with the Spirit and grow in our spiritual walk. Whew. It all happened when God was in flesh. At the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons.